there are probably um, very few firsts and seconds that should always be taught together. Um, it is possible to get into 1 Timothy or 2 Timothy, to get in 1 Corinthians without getting into 2 Corinthians. Um, they are certainly all linked together, but in Peter, we find almost a complete necessity that you're really incomplete in understanding Peter's approach without 2 Peter, having studied 1 Peter there. And some have looked at that and said, well, there are diff- completely different authors, that these aren't even uh, correlated, but rather uh, we should examine it more carefully and recognize that uh, Peter, uh, having sent out his first letter, realizes that that's one side of the coin, and that there is another side that we need to study out too and apply to our lives. And so as we have completed First Peter and we see the themes have been wrapped up and, and have been well presented and certainly differently than maybe uh, other New Testament writers might do it, where he doesn't follow an exact theme and then complete it, but rather he's doing uh, two or three or four uh, themes simultaneously and are mixing them. Uh, we're going to see something similar here in Second Peter, uh, but with totally different perspective and a totally different kind of ministry. And that might set some people off and think, well, this doesn't sound like Peter at all. Well, it does. And if you've heard any pastor who has to transition from one kind of ministry to another, uh, it would be easy to say, well, that doesn't sound like this. And in fact, that was the accusation against Paul, right? Uh, When he's in person, he's like this. In his writing, he's like that. And they don't seem to be correlated. They don't seem to be the same guy. Uh, from, our, from a human perspective. And yet we see the necessity of the circumstance make different demands of us. That in a circumstance that may demand one kind of ministry, and we are very patient and, and um, very, uh, from a human perspective, loving, although all of this is loving ministry, uh, very soft-hearted, tender-hearted, under one circumstance, you say, how can that same person come forward, well, in a different circumstance, can be very abrupt, very direct, even harsh, which can also be loving. We don't often associate that with that, but uh, when the times require that, that the capacity to do that. And so, and we see that in Jesus Christ's ministry, right? We see it, how we can be tender and caring over a woman caught in adultery that ends up saving her life physically that day from being stoned to death, and then uh, overturning tables and making a scourge and driving people out of the temple. And we say, well, is that the same man? Oh, yes, it is. The same man who was tender and, and gentle can turn and say to the same person, say, get you behind me and call him a name like Satan. Uh, yes circumstances will dictate this transition. And in fact, the concept that we have a, a one-sided view of what uh, each of the, those that pen Scripture just demonstrates that we don't have a fullness of an understanding. So those that want to disassociate First and Second Peter, I would just like to share with you that as a pastor, um, I, I can gravitate to either one of these um, based upon the circumstances that I'm confronted with in ministry. Dealing with someone who is in sin, 
uh, and dealing and who is an unbeliever is very different than dealing with someone who has been in church leadership and now chooses sin, which is also very different from dealing with someone who is introducing error in doctrine in my church, which I have zero toleration of, and I will yell at them. I don't care who hears, um, because it is that evil a thing to introduce into the church. And so when we come to these, we recognize hopefully that Peter is writing to them in a very tender way in the last passage. It doesn't mean weak. Tender doesn't mean weak. It means that he is looking to recognize that, listen, you're going to be encountering some difficult times, some opposition, and you're going to be, find yourself maybe wavering a little bit, and I'm here to help you stand. I want to encourage you and strengthen you and uh, to stand fast, to endure, uh, that we must, that this is the expectation of the believer, that we're going to have hard times, and so I want to brace you up, I want to give you good theology to strengthen you, I want to give you good relationships to strengthen you, and I want to give you right uh, expectations to strengthen you. You should be expecting this, and if you expect opposition, you are much better prepared to endure opposition. And so, while Peter communicates all this in an exhortive way, exhorting them to stand fast, exhorting them, listen, you have a great enemy, he's going to be throwing fiery darts at you, he's going to be, you need to be braced up. And so, uh, it's not that it was all tenderness, there was an exhortation, not only that, but it was instructive, it was also um, uh, similar to what a military leader might say to his men before battle. Brace yourself. Man yourself up. Be ready to engage the enemy. And so it was to encourage as well as to instruct uh, his people. And, and there is a time and a necessity for that, and Peter recognizes that. And, and we have studied that extensively. We've seen the effect on relationships and and the benefit of heeding those exhortations, that he has our best in mind. We transition to 2 Peter, and the tone is going to change. It's going to change dramatically. We're going to go from an exhortive approach, which basically calls us to obedience, calls us to brace ourselves, and exhortation requires instruction and doctrine, certainly, but it also calls us to obedience. And I'm exhorting you to do what is right, to be obedient to God's word. And as you obey God's word, it will strengthen you and give you uh, what is needed to stand and to endure. And exhortation is what uh, is often associated with like coaches do. Uh, and what, uh, I, as we said, a military setting, that we are doing things, we're calling you, we're instructing you, we're training you because there is a great event coming in the future in your life that you need to be prepared for. And so it, it is future-oriented to a degree, but it's really about the near future of what you're going to endure here today in your flesh and with an expectation of what's to come. And so we are calling to obedience, and that's exhortation. But we come to 2 Peter, and I'm not going to say there's no exhortation in 2 Peter. That would be wrong. 
but I'm saying predominantly what you're going to find is a very different approach. Now we're going to have warnings. After warnings, after warnings, after warnings. Watch out. And now instead of preparing yourself, the assumption is that you have placed First Peter in your life, you have put on the armor of God. You have put on Christ. You have these relationships right in your life, not only in the world, um, but in, in, in your family, within your church, within leadership. It, these, these relationships are established that you have a, a preparation that personally for all of what's going to come. But now we are going to turn it around instead of looking at our preparations, which is exhortation is really about. Be prepared. Now we're going to turn this around and say, look at the enemy. And these are in the right order. Um, if we tell you look at the enemy before you're prepared to face the enemy, what are you going to do? You're going to cowardly go, ah, and run away. What are we thinking? We can't attack them. <laughs> That's the enemy? That's what you want? And so it's not here's where we want to, no, we, we exhort first. We want to train you and prepare you, and now, having done so, and this is very evident in the early part of Peter, uh, where he says, listen, I, I'm just here to remind you. So in the first chapter, we're going to find this repeated, and it's going to come up one or two more times afterwards. I, I, I recognize my job as an apostle to remind you of some things that you already know. How do you already know that? Because you already got First Peter's exhortation. If you're not being obedient to the exhortations of 1 Peter, you are not ready for 2 Peter. Because 2 Peter is going to turn this thing around and say, look at the enemy. Look for the enemy. Engage the enemy. And in a warning format, it is, listen, you here's what you're up against. We have seen a little bit of that in 1 Peter. Just as 1 Peter focuses on exhortation doesn't mean he never did any warning. Uh, even as 2 Peter gives us extensive warnings, and, but it doesn't abandon exhortation. But we're going to talk about major approaches. So the major approach for Peter here now is to say, here, here's the enemy that we are confronting, and it's probably not who you think it is. And that's frightening when we really see what's engaged here in terms of who he is identifying as enemy number one that is crippling the church. And so the whole approach to Peter is going to change. And we can say, well, um, this is a new author. No, it's a pastor who recognizes that having prepared his people with exhortation they now need to be warned about how the enemy operates against them. You are ready to stand, having been prepared by 1 Peter. Now let's see what you're standing against. And to beware of these that can trick you and fool you. There's probably very few times in Earth's history if ever, that we had such extensive propaganda going on uh, against the truth. And we've been studying this, started last two Sunday nights, uh, where the truth is just uh, hard to 
figure out what's really going on in uh, the news, uh, in not only political and, and about the nations, but even social, what's going on. And, and it's become difficult to just filter it all out. I was telling my wife this week, even this morning, uh, when I see all of mainstream media walking in step with a single message, I assume that that's the wrong message <laughs> at this point. I have come to the conclusion that when they all agree that something isn't right. Uh, because we know from historically that they are uh, not agents of truth. They maybe once were, but not today. They are not dependable in producing that. And so I need to be working on my own capacity of discernment and of thoughtfulness, of being able to evaluate things. Uh, but I also need to recognize that the, how the enemy functions and operates uh, to try to trick me or to try to make me stumble or to try to undermine me. And that's what Second Peter is really focusing in on. And so we need to be ready for a very different approach. We're going to see a very clear um, warnings there. We've already studied passages like this in the past, so it's not something new to us. Um, in fact, there's one chapter here of Second Peter that is uh, in many ways exactly what we just studied, just studied, years ago studied in the book of Jude. And so that, in fact, some people think that one of them copied it from the other one, whether Jude copied it from Peter or Peter from Jude, um, or maybe they were together when he was written. Um, but we find that that's going to correlate. So we've studied these kinds of passages before. And we have warning passages many other places in the Bible. This is not unique. Uh, but with regard to understanding how we are going to transition, we are going from exhortation toward warning. And that is uh, a, uh, a very different approach. And, and we need to be braced for that. Uh, another book of the Bible that does this actually the other way around, does warning and then moves to exhortation, is the book of Hebrews. That warns you again and again and again, be careful, be careful. You, you, you abandon Christ. There isn't anything else. You be careful. All right? And Galatians is another book that is warning more than it is exhortation. Not that there is no exhortation in there. Certainly at the end of the book there is. But predominantly, it's about warning about this enemy. And so, we're going to see that here. The other transition that we need to make here, uh, going from 1 Peter and 2 Peter, is that uh, 1 Peter deals with our life today. The exhortation was really focused on Christian living. Uh, your relationships, what should they be like? That's Christian living. Uh, how are you going to stand fast in the world today? That's your Christian life. Prepare yourself and put on righteousness and godliness and to have a walking faith, a faith that is engaged and knowing the truth and then applying that truth in your Christian life. And that is um, fully through First Peter. The whole attention is on your Christian life here on earth. How are you going to live out Christ today and each day as you encounter people and things in this world. And 1 Peter is very much about your Christian living. We've been studying that extensively, and that's easy for us because it talks to what we're doing today. 
We're in these relationships today with our family. We're in these relationships today at the workplace. We're in these relationships today in the church. Uh, and so it, it was it seemed more practical. We come to 2 Peter and we have another transition to another kind of topic that correlates with the warning aspect. And Peter moves from Christian living as his focus uh, and the how-to of you know, how to be a better Christian Father, how to be a better Christian, how to be a better evangelist, how to be to, to something very different. He's going to move from Christian living in today to talking about the apocalypse. He's going to talk about the end of all things. He's going to be focusing in now on the fact that this world is coming to an end. And so Christian living is important to do, but please recognize is that it doesn't go without an end. There is a conclusion to Christian living. And that conclusion is fast approaching in Peter's mind. And so we find a lot of apocalyptic material here in Second Peter, which is very important to us. In fact, there's several statements that Peter's going to make in this book that are foundational to our understanding of principles that we apply to our understanding of end times. One of them being that you know, God's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Well, that's a very precious uh, declaration because that, that we are saved from wrath, that, that we should anticipate these kinds of things, that we are saved through wrath through him. And so we're going to find these kinds of statements here about the day of the Lord, about the destruction of all that exists, and, and it's unsettling. Christian living, I can attach myself to. I can, I can see it. It's practical. I, I face that every day. I, I, I understand that I, I have to wake up every morning and have relationships with people. That's something I connect to easily. And now I get to 2 Peter, and I'm called to think about the end of the world. Well, there's a time to talk about Christian living, but the conclusion of that, and, and it's necessary and proper, and we do that regularly, but it's also within a context of understanding that this world is not really our home. While we are given clear instruction on how to live here and the priorities that should be in our life here, we recognize that those priorities are in the shadow of something very ominous in our future, and that is the judgments of God. We're not talking about just the judgments of God upon the lost, upon the wickedness of this world, but the judgment of God upon the saints as well, that we will have to answer for every word, that we will stand before the judge of all the earth, that we will be found in that condition weeping as we consider uh, what we have done compared to what he has done. And so Peter is going to move us into understanding the apocalypse and having that as a shadow over all of our Christian living. And not a shadow in the sense of a darkening of it, but of an expectation that this is really what we are looking towards. Because the shadow tells us something, doesn't it? If you were in the shadow of something, what does that tell you is beyond that shadow? A very bright light. If you're in the shadow of something, it means the light is on the other side of that. And Peter is telling us, listen, you're walking the Christian life in sort of a shadowy world that is really portending that the, the 
apocalypse. But on the other side of that is your exaltation. That's where we're looking for. We're looking toward the sun. And so while we're walking about here, don't think that this is the, the brightest it will ever be. Oh, no. Now, while, you, while this apocalypse kind of shows that we're in the shadows, we recognize, and that, that we recognize that there's a light on the other side of that that is producing that shadow, we also recognize that the world is in darkness. And that just being in this period of Christian living and walking in the light as he is in the light, that we have this opportunity to be the light in this world. But recognize, please, that this world is in the shadow of the apocalypse. It is just biding its time to destruction. And so we have a different tone that is necessary because he wants to turn our attention to the fact that this is what's coming. And all of the prophets, and Peter becomes a prophet here in terms of the future, telling us some things about the end of the world that we uh, need to know, his people need to know. When he turns to this prophet, this is similar to what we find if we even go to the Old Testament prophets, if we go into prophetic statements of Jesus Christ, which we're going to be visiting, when we go into Revelation, when we go into uh, Thessalonians, when Paul talks about prophetic material, uh, whenever we approach these prophetic materials, what is the message to the church? What is the message to the believer within the context of this? Well, don't set your heart on the things of earth. Set your heart on things above. And so, certainly, we have a curiosity about these things, about when certain things will happen and what can we expect. Um, and that's why he begins with, with Christian living. Persist in this faithful walk with Christ. In all your relationships and all that God is doing with you, stand fast, endure. In all the midst of the persecutions, they're temporal uh, and so we've seen some glimpses of the apocalypse, but we haven't focused on them and the nature of them in terms of what judgment entails, that it is violent. Judgment is violent. Uh, judgment is frightening. And judgment is, is, should be a, a penetrate our thinking and our hearts when we confront the needs of those around us of what they are facing, which is even more frightening. And so all of the prophets, when they get to these sections, are calling people, and they are using these as warning passages. Watch out. Here is the alternative. You don't want to lead the Christian life. You want to heap up for yourselves people who will tell you what you want to hear and stroke your ego or make you have goosebumps uh, for being who you are uh, and not requiring righteousness. If you want all of that, here's where that's going to lead. And that warning is going to stand. This is the, the, the destructiveness of these false teachers. And so we're going to be investigating what false teaching is and what false teachers are like and what can they do and, and how do they get into the church. And all of this was really in the face of the apocalypse. So the warning and the apocalyptic material are not... Um, strangers to each other. <laughs> They're often very closely associated in all of Scripture. You cannot go through the Old Testament and read the prophets without recognizing Israel and Judah are in trouble. 
If they don't get their act together, they're going to be caught up in these judgments. And God sends them these prophets to warn them. Listen, I'm going to spit you out. I'm going to, I'm going to you know, put you into captivity. I'm going, to, I'm going to let you be drug off naked. And, and, and I'm going to be uh, against you instead of for you. That's your future because of your sin of your present. And so we want to certainly be addressing our present, but recognizing the, what is to come. And so these are the two major differences that we're going to be seeing uh, here in Second Peter, from First Peter. And so it's going to take a different approach for us. And you might say, well, it seems like it's radical. To a degree, yes. But Peter is going to tell us, listen, I'm just reminding you of something you already know. But it's easy to allow people to distract us or dissuade us from following what we already know. How does that happen? It happens through the fact that, well, everyone else is following this, so I can just assume that that's correct. That's, that's the democratic way, after all, right? If the majority feel this way, it must be correct. It's not the biblical way. The biblical way says wide is the way that leads to destruction and narrow is the road that leads to life, which means that if you are in the majority, you are probably wrong most of the time. That's scary. That's not American at all, is it? When young people start voting and they start voting, they say, nothing I vote for ever gets passed. And I'm like, well, that's good. What? <laughs> yes, that's good. Why is that good? Because the Bible says that the majority will always go after error. And I'm glad to hear that you're voting for things that are not passing. It means you're voting probably better than the world, and the world wants not what's pleasing to God. And so when we look at our approach to this, we are going to uh, be challenged on many different levels. Uh, and it's easy to say, well, um, I'm, I'm going to stand fast. I'm going to stand fast. It's like, well, but if you don't know the, the deceiving ways, the tactics of your enemy, um, even the most prepared can stumble and fall, and be caught unawares. And so, a warning, an apocalyptic book, is about turn around, look at your enemy. We've been working on ourselves, we've gone through boot camp, we've got all the training, we've got all the uh, weapons, we, we know how to use our tools, we know how to use our defenses, uh, but what are the enemy's weapons? What are their tactics? What, how are they going to come at us? And that's what 2 Peter is about. Turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. That's a pretty decent introduction. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. And I'm going to read a significant portion of 2 Peter. If I get excited, I might read it all. Okay, here we go. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us, 
by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our Jesus, our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. For also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, is forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For you do these, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For this reason, I will not neglect to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth, Yes, I think it is right, as long as I am in this tent, to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that surely I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of scriptures of any private interpretation for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, Condemn them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. And delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Then God knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation 
and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. And especially those who walk according to the flesh of the lust of the uncleanness and despise authority. They are presumptuous, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries, whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. But these, like natural brute beasts made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of things they do not understand and will utterly perish in their own corruption and will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. They are spots and blemishes, carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practices and are cursed children. They have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he was rebuked <laughs> for his iniquity. A dumb donkey, speaking with a man's voice, restrained the madness of the prophet. These are wells without water, clouds carrying by tempest, for whom is reserved a blackness of darkness forever. For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them, according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit, and a sow, having washed to her wallowing in the mire. Beloved, I write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder that you may be mindful of the words which are spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget. That by the word of God, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day, is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, 
What manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless, and consider the long suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the scriptures. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware, lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away by the error of the wicked, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. There are some other minor themes that we'll pick up through 2 Peter. We'll see some great instruction because instruction is the basis of warning, not just of exhortation. We're going to be taught about the glory of God. Not just the eternal glory that we're looking forward to participating, but the shadow of that glory upon us, the recipients of it. We're going to be talking and be instructed throughout this book on the Bible, on, on Scripture. What is it about Scripture that is distinct and separate? Why is it that Peter could look to Paul and say, his is Scripture too? He identified it. We should be able to identify Scripture because all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable. And so Peter's going to teach us about God's Word. We're going to have these instructions and we're, because that's going to be the mechanism, the the a piece of equipment that we need to be able to distinguish between error and truth is the scriptures. And so that's going to be a minor theme, a, a, a resurgent theme as well. And then as I've already talked about, he's going to keep telling us, I'm just here to remind you of these things, remind you of these things, but beware. Don't take reminders as I already knew that. Uh, reminders are important because without them, you could be deceived. And that small theme we need to talk about a little bit, and we'll be rehearsing it, reminding ourselves of it repeatedly, is as soon as you think you've arrived, you've acquired all that is necessary, um, and you have thought that the enemy uh, can't, move you, can't uh, pull out any of your foundation, can't cause you to stumble, uh, is when you are in grave danger of that very thing happening because you've underestimated them. So we're going to see that theme. Why does he keep saying, I need to remind you, I have to remind you of this? As the end draws nearer and nearer, these reminders need to be more and more a part of our Christian preparation for the enemy. Well, no introduction to a book is complete without one more thing, and that takes us to 1 Peter 1. 
And that is who is writing. We've already studied, but who is receiving it? Let's look at verse 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant apostle of Jesus Christ. Hopefully we have a good understanding of those terms. He comes to you and says, a bondservant is one who has chosen to serve. Within the Roman structure of society, there were various levels of slavery uh, that we would call slavery or servitude. Um, and, and when you begin looking at this, we're not talking about 10% of the population. Um, we're talking at least one-third. Some have even conjectured that up to a half of the Roman Empire was in some kind of servitude in their, uh, as their occupation, if you will, as who they were. You and I would identify them as slaves. And so when Peter uses this term, it is one that is very much uh, understood that this idea of a bondservant is the highest level of servitude you would reach. It is one who could have been free and chooses to be bound in servitude. And this is going to be very important. This is one thing that Peter's going to keep coming back to. Even as we saw in 1 Peter, he's going to use terminology very similar. This is one of the major connecting areas between 1 and 2 Peter, is the whole idea of your your calling and your response to the calling of God, do you choose to be God's servant? And of course, this is something that even Jesus Christ in the Gospels elevates and says, you know, when you've, as a servant of God, when you've done everything that is required, uh, what is your response? We are unprofitable servants. We've only done what is our duty to do. That that is our response to God. This is my duty. Because I have identified you as my Lord, as my King, as the King of kings and Lord of lords, as you are my Savior, my Messiah, therefore it is my duty to serve you, but it is also my choice to serve you. Historically, even before the New Testament period, we had the great and we're going to see other ones come later on, we have a great, um, on multiple occasions, we have uh, rebellions from the serving class of the Roman Empire that would rebel against, and, uh, and they would have to be squashed at various places. Some gained a lot more uh, following than others. Some were regional and there was at least one that was much more empire-wide. Um, but a bondservant would never participate in that. He would never participate in any kind of rebellion because he is not serving out of this uh, exterior compulsion. He is serving from an interior compulsion. The duty he is talking about is a duty that I accepted, that I almost generated, that I recognize I have this duty. So why would someone who is given opportunity to be free choose to persist in serving? And the underlying testimony of so many bond services, I love my master. I just love them. 
and I want to keep serving them. I want to continue doing what I've been doing. I want to be steadfast in it because of my love for them, not just affection for them and the family, but this loyal uh, attachment that they have that is deeper than, than your feelings. It is recognizing, well, this is someone worthy of serving. And so when Peter uses this term, everyone who had or was a bondservant or knew a bondservant understood what was entailed there. That they had an external uh, testimony to that. And so bondservants were given a piece of jewelry to identify them. They were very well treated in the Roman world. They were given a lot of responsibility and they were uh, the highest level of servitude. But there was a chosen path, not an imposed one. And Peter here says, I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Paul uses that term for himself too. I'm a bondservant. I'm your fellow servant. And so the whole idea is that we are serving God by choice. That compulsion, that concept of duty is one that is internal. And one of the driving aspects not only is our love for God, but our gratitude to God. And that was one of the other major themes. When you hear the testimony of bondservants is, I am so thankful for what these people have meant to me. For many of them, they were some, many times, <coughs> they were brought into servitude, uh, usually for one of the, the two major reasons people got into servitude was to pay off debt. Um, and so that's the only way you pay off debt is to serve. And so that's why the Bible says the debtor is the slave of the, ma- of the lender. The, ma- the lender is the master. And so sometimes they pay off debt, and sometimes that debt wasn't even their own. It was their family's debt, their parents' debt. And so you would take your 10-year-old and you would sell him into slavery to the person that you were indebted to to pay off your debt. Okay? Uh, So that was one major way. Uh, The other way that many got into slavery was because they were part of an identified class of people that were conquered by a, a Roman army. And so they would be subjugated, and part of that subjugation is, well, you have to provide us so many servants, so they'd bring these people into servanthood, servant, servitude. And while we often think, well, they brought in these massive men to be gladiators, that was just one sliver, a small sliver, of how many they brought into servitude. Uh, we have, and that's not anything new. Uh, we have examples of that in the Old Testament, correct? Um, and they served faithfully. And we think, oh, they hate them, they hate them. Well, that really wasn't the dynamic that was typical in homes. It was the recognition, and one of my favorite ones is the girl that became a powerful missionary in a place called Syria as a slave girl. And her master, you know, you don't know her name, but you know her master's name, his name was Naaman. And she saved Naaman's life. She's the one that says, hey, you go to my land, there's a prophet there that can heal you. That was a servant girl who was an Israelite ripped out of her home, away from her family by a conquering army. And so our mentality of rebellion, um, you say, well, that's, 
you serve the people that conquer you? Yes. And so we go into bond servanthood uh, from a premise of gratitude because you've taken me out of this and, and, and you might say, well, you've taken them away from their whole family and their culture and all of that, well, you have placed too much value on those things compared to what many times these people did in elevating their standard of living and bringing them into many times educating them an education they didn't have, of feeding and caring for them in a manner they didn't have. Uh, Sometimes remember the condition of Israel when this girl was being carried off. This was uh, a work of God's judgment upon a sinful people. What were their people doing to their children? They were sacrificing them on fiery altars. And in some ways, Naaman rescued her from that environment. And so when we begin to have a different view of this, we recognize that while well, many bond servants says, well, after, after you want to set me free, I choose to persist in serving you because of my gratitude for what you've done for me. Even of paying off my parents' debt, my parents who sold me to you to pay off their debt, I'm grateful to you because now you've given me so much that they couldn't or wouldn't. And so the concept of bond servanthood, Peter says, listen, I'm a bond servant, I'm an apostle, but first I'm a bond servant. I have chosen out of my love for God and my gratitude for all that he's done for me to surrender myself to his service. And this is our writer. And now he is going to put the mirror up and say, Does, is that who you are? Because the rest of the verse says, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. He's going to go on in verse 3. Let me jump ahead to verse 3. It says, as his divine power is given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. He's given it to us. Not just to me as the apostle, but to all of us. And he's really coming to them and saying, listen, I am a bondservant, and you may serve in that capacity as well. This is something that is available to all men. We have, there is no categorizing. We have a unity within the people of God that we should all be bondservants. And unfortunately, within that context, within the church, we find those who are serving themselves, those that are serving their lusts, those that are serving money, those that are serving all these other things instead of serving Christ. But it's not because it, they couldn't. Because they won't. And so he says, to those you have obtained or received, we can discuss that, but uh, you have obtained like precious faith with us. And again, that to us all things are, are brought. And so it isn't that Peter receives something different that is unavailable to you. The same valuable faith that he had that moved him to become a bondservant of Jesus Christ, an apostle. The word apostle, by the way, is just messenger. A messenger of Christ. Representing Christ to men. Is available to all. You have obtained it with us 
And we're going to be studying the, con, the, the foundation of that next week. But I want you to notice that he recognized that we are together as one. Now some have taken this and said, well, Peter in 1 Peter wrote to Jews, and now in 2 Peter he's writing to Gentiles. Because he's saying, with us Jews is the implication there. Um, I don't view that. I, I handled that under 1 Peter in the introduction there, and I addressed that at that time. And so we're not seeing this Jewish Gentile. I don't see Peter doing that. Uh, he talks about you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. He's not talking about Jews. He's talking to the church. But he is saying, just because I am writing to you these instructions, uh, I'm not elevating myself above you. I'm saying you have obtained the same value of the like precious faith that everyone has. We all have access to the same salvation. We all have access to the same power, the same grace, the same mercy, the same glory. And glory is one of those themes that we're going to see popping up throughout this. It's another one of the minor themes we're going to see is the glory of God. And so we're, we all have the same access. You have the same, your faith is just as valuable as the faith that I have. Don't exalt me above yourselves. Realize that we are peers, that the only one to be exalted is our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is who I want to exalt. And what a, and he's setting a stage. He's setting this out there uh, because one of the things false teachers do is they will exalt themselves above you. And it always happens. Um, instead of a, a, a ministry out of humility, it's, it's well, you poor, you know, weak-minded people, let me tell you, you just don't get these mysteries. And I've encountered those people uh, that come in and say, oh, you just don't get it. You know, and, and, and I just kind of look at them, and whether... Uh, they come through family or they come through visiting the church or however they come into relationship with me, I just kind of look at them and I'm like, you, first of all, you don't know anything about me really um, to say that and, and you're claiming this higher knowledge. And this is a group that's been around in the church for a very long time and they persist today. In the olden days, we called them Gnostics. G-N, it starts with a G. Gnostic starts with a G. Uh, and they, were, they believe that there is a secret knowledge that only some Christians get. That's going to be one of the errors that, that the church has to deal with very early in her history and the scriptures deal with. Well, what does that do? If I have secret knowledge that you don't have access to, what does that do between you and I? Now, I'm exalted and you're debased. And Peter says, right off the bat, I'm going to set myself up as distinct. Listen, we all have equal access to faith of the same value. I come to you as a brethren, as a brother, not as someone lording over you. We are all one in Christ. The power and the glory are all found in God and Savior Jesus Christ. It is in Him that we exalt, or, or that we look for exaltation. We, we look at him, not at secret knowledge that I have that you don't have. And in fact, later on in this first chapter, we just read it, 
What does he say? I'm just reminding you of stuff that you already know. I'm reminding you. I feel that I need to just remind, before I die, I just like to make this in writing, my reminder. Let me remind you. This is not the words of someone who has secret knowledge above you. This is someone who has a shared knowledge with you. And the Gnostics were walking around and they, you know, can lord it over you. Oh, you know, you just don't get it. And I remember when I was in Utah, we were at the Olympics there and we were to share Christ, you know, and, and we were given different assignments, a place to share our pins and, and the gospel message. And, and I sat down in the mall next to this older man and, and uh, he was a Mormon, of course. This is in downtown Salt Lake. And... Um, he says, oh, you're just like a child. You don't, you don't know anything. He knew nothing about me. But he had been indoctrinated that we who don't know the Book of Mormon, which he assumed I didn't know the Book of Mormon, I do. I have a copy. I've read it. Um, would just can't even begin to think on the, on the level that they think. And and. I just kind of smiled. I said, well, that's Gnosticism. I have secret knowledge. And that claim always elevates. And Peter says, no, let's begin right away. You have the same faith, the same precious faith that I have. And there, that faith is founded upon not Peter the rock, but the capital R rock, Jesus Christ. Not Peter the pebble, okay? Remember that? Simon is his given name. Peter is what Jesus Christ said. Yeah, I'm calling you Peter. Uh, and, and we misunderstand that statement back there under Peter. He says, no, um, it is Jesus Christ that the church will be founded on. And those that want to elevate Peter to, the, to this papal position uh, don't, don't grasp this. Peter says, listen, the apostles didn't have a more precious faith than you. We share that because we share the same Savior, and that is Jesus Christ. In fact, as I recall, the apostles themselves were fighting among themselves about who would be greatest in the kingdom of God. Do you remember that? Who's greatest in the kingdom of God? The bondservant. You want to be great in the kingdom of God? Be the servant of all. He who serves the least of these, my brothers, will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And so Paul says, I'm serving God, but I'm also your servant. I'm getting ready to die. I want to remind you of all this stuff. I know you already know it. I see it in your life, and I know it's there. And you also have the writings of Paul that are going to help you out. And, 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 but again, they get twisted too. And people are going to twist Peter's writing too. Surprise. Um, but I just want you to know that there is a oneness. And so Peter is not writing to two separate churches. He's writing to the same church. That is equal in faith with all churches. There is not a hierarchy in the kingdom of God. That there are some with secret, better understanding than what is accessible to all. So we come to the, God, the Holy Spirit, and we ask for his power to be at work in us. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. We thank you again for this opportunity to be in your word. 
And as we pursue this study, that we might do so recognizing our need to be reminded of these things as well in these dangerous times. In Christ Jesus' name, amen.